Okay. Uh, so last week we were talking about uh, tolerance. We were talking about um, pluralism, sophisticated and unsophisticated pluralism, uh, particularism, which Christianity is. Uh, I talked about a bunch of different questions as we introduced this topic of, uh, of uh, apologetics. Tonight we're going to walk through uh, judgment, a few things on intolerance, and responding to pluralists. Does anybody recall uh, what a pluralist is, if we use that term? That's the idea, like Oprah, the clip we use from Oprah. Dad, this is for you, if you want it. Okay. Um, that's a clip from Oprah, if you remember. She said you can't possibly believe that all, uh, that, that there's one road, right? Uh, it's the idea of the elephant. We use that, that picture of the elephant, right? Uh, religion is based on your perception of it or, or whatever. And so the pluralist would say that, that all the people in, interacting with the elephant were right in some regard. Um, but, of course, they're speaking from a place where they can see that they're actually all fundamentally wrong. Uh, it's not a spear or a wall or a rope, it's an elephant. And so that's the problem with pluralism. Um, let me pray for us and we'll jump in to uh, this idea of judgment. So I think that's a lot of fun to, well, we'll get there. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we come to you now. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be here again tonight. We thank you for your word that shapes us, that guides us, that directs us. And as we... Uh, as we talk through this tonight, I pray, Lord, that you help us to see clearly um, areas uh, for our growth. Uh, Lord, help us to be challenged. Uh, and Lord, I pray that uh, as we talk, I, as always, I pray, Lord, that it, 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 it doesn't just become head knowledge, um, but Lord, that it, it turns us with a mission. Uh, to share with the world around us the, the, the truth of who you are and what you've done. Uh, Lord, don't allow us to uh, walk passively through this life. And instead, Lord, give us eyes to see the world as you do. Give us a heart that beats for the things that, that your heart beats for. We thank you for Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, today, today we we kind of launch. Well, let me before we go to today's topic. Uh, if you recall or think back to last week, did any other thoughts or uh, ideas or questions come out as you've chewed on it in the past week? I'm, I'm sure you wrestled each day with it a little bit more, right? You kept coming back to your notes uh, and, and and looking at it. anything. Anything stand up from last week that you want that you thought of and you want to bring up? And not that's okay too. Okay. Um, tonight we talk about this idea of judge, and you've you've heard it before, right? You, you can't judge me. Don't judge me. Um, doesn't Jesus say, "Don't judge others"? And, and so let's kind of paint the picture of the context to which this comes to play. Uh, I say Jesus is the only way to God because Jesus says that, right? Jesus is kind of an extremist in that way, right? Um, so, uh, uh, so all roads don't lead. To, to God, 
to salvation, to heaven. Uh, so that sounds a little judgy. And then about love and being kind, and Jesus said, don't judge. And they often go to um, this verse in Matthew 7, if they know it. I, I mean, I would guess this is probably one of the most quoted uh, anti-Bible verses, you know, or anti-Christian verses. Um, uh, judge not, let you be judged. Uh, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, the interesting part of that verse, you, you've heard that verse before, right? Have you heard it? Anybody heard it used in an anti-Christian, like, don't judge me type method? Interesting thing. Um, that's one and two. Nope. That's them. Matthew. Matthew 7. Tell me more. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the verses around it. Right. And in that verse, those verses in particular. Yeah. So what's the motivation for it to be used in a secular context? Yeah. So you should judge me because I'm, <coughs> I'm ultimately my, my judge. Yeah. What I think is interesting is when this is often used in the secular type argument, you're borrowing from Christianity to dismiss Christianity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No. Well, I was I was talking about how people people, people today use it, it today sure. use it, okay. yeah, without they're not paying attention to the to the context in which Christ is using it. Yeah. They just like to call they, they hear it so they they no, yeah. I get that. Okay. Yeah. I thought we were talking about the Christ. Okay. Yeah. So so even with even professed Christians, we use this verse um, to justify in my, being squishy, right, in faith, in doctrine, right? Um, now, non-Christians will also use this and say, well, listen, you're not much of a Christian because you're judging, and even your Bible says don't judge, and so you're, you're, you're failing at that. But uh, you're right, we don't, uh, it's often not looked to the context to which Jesus is talking. So that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to read the next couple of verses. Because he elaborates, well, what does this judgment look like? Um, he starts off uh, in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Well, let's pause there and say, well, often it's said, well, that verse is saying don't judge, but what's that verse really saying? Okay. 
Okay. To a degree, yeah. That's that's the biggest line there, right? The, the the metric that you use against someone else is the metric that will be used on you. Look as it goes on. Uh, and why worry about a, a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Of course, this is uh, uh, hyperbole. This is exaggeration here to point point out. That, I, I mean, how can you imagine? I mean, picture that in your head, complaining about someone's peck if you speck in the eye if you have a log in your own. I mean, this is absurd, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, verse 4. How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you with a speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your eye? Hypocrite. It's one of my favorite words that Jesus uses hypocrite. Do you know what it means? I mean, I, I know we know what it means, but do you know the original usage of this word? In the, original, in, in the Greek, the, 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 the word that's used there uh, is the word that you would use for an actor. Think about, think about how uh, the people who would meet in the, in the, in the um, uh, um, I can't think of the word, amphitheater, and do these plays. They would be actors. They would be putting on a role. And what is the purpose of their role? Same purpose for they, right? You want to be applauded for your acting abilities, right? That's why they do, that's why they all give each other awards all the time, right? <laughs> um, uh, and elsewhere, Jesus is going to criticize, uh, you've already gotten your, your reward, you hypocrite. Why? It's because you're working for the, the, the admiration of the good job of attaboys. You hypocrite, he says. First, get the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. Why? Well, if we read the context of what's surrounding this judge not verse, well, what's he saying? Is he, is he saying don't judge? No, he's not saying don't judge. He's just saying, hey, listen, consider your life. Don't be a hypocrite. He's not saying ignore, you do you, I'll do me. And, and he says, first, deal with the log in your own eye. And then you'll be able to see to get the speck out of your friend's eye. There's this element of, uh, well, you've, we've got to be responsible. In fact, Jesus not only told us to make not to make uh, hypocritical judgments, um, but he clearly approved of making judgments in general. Think about how important it is. That we, we all have to make judgments on a daily basis. Um, all kinds of different judgments. Jesus is saying don't make judgments. Listen, it's good to judge a person's behavior. Y you need to. If not, then what makes it wrong? 
the, the law is set up in order to judge and condemn, really, bad behavior, isn't it? For the purpose of punishing bad behavior and upholding um, uh, a civilized way of life. Judgment is important. But hypocritical judgment is not. And that's what Jesus is dealing about. Um, any thoughts on that? That's that's hard to wrap our heads around a little bit, I think. So I don't think we're, we're I don't think we're used to that. Um, especially pop Christianity today. Uh, the, the church is in trouble because the church is afraid, largely, to make judgments about things. But we have to. Mm. Instead, of, yeah. instead of recognizing that it's that what that was my point it's a, it's a relationship thing. Yeah. If I'm gonna treat people, then I've got to expect to get them right back at me. So um so here's an example. Um that that is for whatever reason more and more common. Um and, and I use this example largely because, well, I, I think it's impacting our children generation, I think, more than previous generations. And that's revolving around sex and sexuality. Um, I was talking to a father a couple weeks ago uh, who is, he's got college-age children, and he is torn to pieces because he has a son who has chosen, who has decided, who, I don't know the vernacular for it, whatever, but he's got a, a son who's gay, and he's really struggling with how do I stand as a Christian husband, man, father, how do I deal with that? I just can't stomach my, my um, I just can't deal with that. He's really struggling through this. And I asked him, I said, um, let's call him John because that's my name, and that's probably the safest bet, right? I said, John, let me ask you. Um, you've, got, you've got another son, right? Yeah, and he kept harping on this because it's, you know, it's, it's sexual sin, sexual sin, sexual sin. I said, you've got another son, right? Yeah. Your other son's uh, heterosexual, right? Right, right, right? Yeah. Are you as grieved about your heterosexual son who is living in, heteros- in heterosexual sexual sin? Are you as grieved about that? as you are with your homosexual son who's living in homosexual sin. Both are sexual sin, are they not? Yes. Well, no, I, no, I've never really thought of that before. Perhaps you should. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, that is a fair balancing, isn't it? Sin is sin. Now, that doesn't mean we don't dre- address sin, certainly. We address sin. Um, but we understand the reality of sin. We treat sin fairly. Um, I, th- I think that's a, a fair example of applying this principle in a, in a good way. I said, John, you can't, 
write off this son of yours for living in sexual sin if sexual sin is prevalent here and you welcome this in your house. The, 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 the number one sexual issue that is ignored in the Christian church today is, is um, cohabitating uh, Christians. I don't know what that was. <laughs> what? But that's highly ignored. Uh, so uh, we, we ignore that because it's heterosexual, and for whatever reason that makes it better. What we fail to understand is we're living in Romans 1. Um, so we need to be fair about what, I mean, so sin is sin, yes. And all have sinned, yes. That does, that's not an excuse to sin, right, or excuse for sin. Uh, but it's the reality of what it is. Uh, and as we talked about last week, I mean, I would, I would hope we can be a ministry, a church here at Leesburg that's accepting of the, of the sinner. Uh, I, I don't know why. People much smarter than me, I'm sure, could give you an answer as to why um, the sexual, well, yeah, why the sexual stuff is so highlighted today. If it's more, I, 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 I don't know. I, on a spiritual level, we talked about that a little bit in Romans, right? In, in, in Romans, we talked about how really it's a spiritual battle. Uh, and when we look at prophecy throughout the, throughout the Bible, we see that um, idolatry is often linked with sexual perversion. Babylon uh, uh, is often identified as the whore. Uh, the scarlet who 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 went after Israel and pulled pulled Israel away with her whoring about and her uh, promiscuous ways. Um, that's often a, the theme. It's very sexualized. It's because this is a this is in John Welch's uh, interpretation of Scripture. This is a, a a spiritual battle that's going on in the world today. Um, that has been the M.O. since creation. Yeah. Sure. That was part of our conversation last week with acceptance, right? The idea of tolerance and acceptance. And, and, and there is something to that. There's a, that growing, I mean, it's louder, without a doubt. Um, and I, I know there are some 
I don't know how scholarly it is, but there's some research that suggests um, uh, that the generation, whatever they are, Z, I guess, uh, is growing in their uh, identification or uh, uh, I, don't, I can't think of words tonight. In their in their identifying as LGBTQ plus somewhere in that spectrum, um, and so that's a growing thing. The question is: Is it a sexual thing or is it a social thing? I mean, I, I, without a doubt, I would argue that there's a a, a, a grooming that's happening in our world today uh, that I don't think can be um, debated. It's our children are being groomed, uh, especially if they're in our public school systems. I think there's a definite grooming that's happening there. I mean, every society has had their perversion. I mean, it's argued that... It's argued that the Roman uh, Empire wasn't as sexualized as we are today, but they were more sexual. We find our identity in our sex, and that might be a part of the issue there. We find that as an identif- as an identifying marker of who we are. Our, um, where it's argued and. and and there's debate in this, but it's argued that, like, in Rome, it was just sex, right? Like, you didn't have, uh, you didn't have anyone who would identify as homosexual in, uh, in the first century. Some say they're just having sex. Um, and that's another thing that deals with, like, I had a, a couple years ago, I had uh, a couple young ladies come to me. It was an, during an internship, and they were in tears. And, oh, what's wrong? We're lesbians. Oh, why? I, I mean, how you, you're in seventh grade. What, what do you mean? And, well, they had a sleepover, and during the sleepover, they ended up, they experimented. They kissed. I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know what to say. So, so when I don't know what to say, all kinds of randomness comes out. I said, well, did you like it? And I, it wasn't, but truthfully, the, I mean, well, no. They're, they're crying, no, but we kissed and so we're lesbians. I'm like, oh, gosh. So that kind of put me on this train, uh, this uh, path at one time, kind of investigating that. And, and that's not, I mean, that that's normal. That's more normal than we'd probably like to realize. Uh um right yeah right right i mean it's it's been expedited the the delivery methods of of sexual content has been expedited and and so I mean, that leads, I think, to a more and more sexual. But, is it, I mean, is it more or is it just wrapped different? I, I don't know. But I do know that biblically, uh, 
the the pull of God's people away from Him uh, to, to false gods has more times than not been a sexual pull. It's been used in pornographic at times language. The, this pull of Israel uh, are running off with with the adulteress and you know whatever. So and that's happening in our world today. Where, when it comes to the, the apologetic side of things, we have to identify sin as sin. But we need to appropriately use things like this. It's okay to call sin, sin. Uh, but I need to consider my life as, as well. As, uh, there's a popular preacher that just came back into the news. I haven't heard of him for several years. Uh, but he was kind of dis, discredited back in 2006-ish. Um, he led a national organization, large church in Colorado, uh, just a kind of a, a rock star Christian guy ish. Uh, he it came out back in 2006 that he was having an affair with a, and I don't know the political or correct terms to use, so I'll just go. It was a it was a male uh, hooker, that, and he was using meth with this male hooker as well. For like six years, it was a standing thing. And he resigned from his church. He was discredited, and uh, he got a severance package and disappeared for a couple of years. He came back on, onto the, the scene again uh, this past week because he eventually started a new church in Colorado, and now he has shut that church down because, uh, surprise, surprise, new sexual allegations. Um, and you think... How does that happen more than once? You know what I mean? I, I still can't really wrap my head around it other than to say um, Satan hates us. Now, maybe he's always been a, a phony, but maybe not. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. I've got a friend of mine who's, who's left ministry uh, because of foolish choices on his part. Um, and and he was at a prominent church, good church, healthy church. Uh, he was um, rightly accused of having multiple affairs on his wife. Uh, she divorced him. He, of course, was kicked out of the, not kicked out of the church, but he resigned. And um, so he was gone for a while out of ministry. Uh, he got another chance in a ministry, a, a, a wise um, pastor's pastor said, listen, uh, you messed up. You know you messed up. He walked with this guy for several years during the divorce, and for about eight years he was out of ministry. And finally, this wise pastor had the coattails to really bring this guy back into the fold of Christian churches. So he got a new position, got a new gig. Things were going well. Everything's positive and good. And then all of a sudden I get a phone call. We'll call the guy John. Uh, John's been fired. What? So I try to reach out to him, can't get him, can't get him, can't get him. About a month later, I'm sitting at a Starbucks in uh, Manowar, no, uh, Nicholasville Road, toward Nicholasville, that new development, new in the past 10 years. The, the, yeah, uh, the, the summit? Is that the summit? It was, it was, so, so I'm sitting there at the Starbucks, I think, and I look up, and here comes John. 
<laughs> and of course, because I'm uh, uh, smooth, I stood up and I went, what the heck? <laughs> He's like, okay. So he came and sat down. And I said, John, what happened? What? And he told me the story. And I said, you're an idiot. How? You were just restored. He said, I know. I forgot. I forgot that God, that God loves me. I, I remembered that God loves me, but I forgot that Satan hates me. And I said, maybe. And, and there is truth to that. We need to remember that Satan's always out proud. But, dude, really, you forgot to walk in the Spirit. You forgot to live with integrity on a daily basis. He's out of ministry. He'll be out of ministry forever. He won't be restored. Um, he, he was really offended by some of the words I said to him that day. But here's the thing. I, and I would expect that, I mean, we just got to be, we've got to judge with the same metric we want it used on us. It would be unloving to say, oh, yeah, dude, grace, love, grace, love. Um, I had a conversation today about an individual who, who I have no contact with. As far as it depends on me, I've got no contact with him. So I'm going to make a confession, okay? <laughs> Somebody says, but, I mean, if you saw him broke down on the side of the road, you'd help him. No, I wouldn't. I said, well, that's not very Christian. Maybe not. I'll wrestle with that tonight. But what if it is? Like, if his wife and kids were there, then certainly, like, I would help, without a doubt, question. But if he's broke down on the side of the road, maybe he needs to walk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes that might be good for your mind. <laughs> What's Paul say to the young man who's sleeping with his stepmother in 1 Corinthians? Hey, he's unrepentant. Have nothing to do with him. That boy's walking. When his horse breaks down or whatever, he's, he's walking. Because you can't bank on the fellowship of believers when you are adamantly against the fellowship of believers, unrepentantly. And so maybe the godly thing, the Christian thing, is to say to this guy, I've got that I would never see his wife or kids in need and not help. But he could walk. If his if his life were being threatened, I would help him. But he can walk. I don't know. Okay, where are we? We're getting way off track. Um you ought to judge others the way you want the way you ought to be judged. Uh, let's see. Here's the thing. The, the, the person who criticizes others for saying, well, you shouldn't judge others, that person is themselves uh, judging others by making that criticism. Think about it like that. If you say to me, John, you shouldn't judge others, well, are you judging me and saying that? You're making a judgment call or claim there. Okay. Any thoughts? Any other thoughts on judgment? Any critiques? Criticisms?
But what? Oh. So, so, so my friend that I had that, that I was and I called him out and said, "Did you, you know, he's being sinful." Now he says, "I'm sorry." I think you tolerate that. Now, if it's ongoing, if it's consistent, if he's not apologetic, that's the one that's exp- that's expelled. The guy that I wouldn't stop with, if his car were broken down, he's not apologetic. He's not remorseful. He's not pleading for the graces of Jesus. Uh, uh, you see the difference there? Uh, and it's, I mean, case by case. I mean, it's, I've probably said too much by painting in broad strokes, but... Um, Yeah. Anything else? Thoughts? Denise, you're thinking hard. I'm thinking, yeah. I just, I, um, um, I haven't been in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's the seed that changes their heart. Maybe not. Maybe you just get taken advantage of. Yes. But you don't know. You don't know that. Yes, and again, it's a case by case situation that needs to be like the guy that I would that walk. He's an extreme situation. Uh, four weeks ago, there's a young lady who I went to high school with who was here at church. Family lives here in uh, in, in Cynthia. Uh, I've, I've known since college, at least, that she were lesbian. When I saw her in the lobby this, uh, three, four weeks ago, I ran over and gave her a hug. I love you. It's so good to see you. And we stood there and talked for 15, 20 minutes. Um, she knows where I stand. I know where she is. The guy that I have nothing to do with, uh, he says, uh, I'm a Christian. He's a Christian. Um, and, uh is vulgar toward the God of this Bible and yet claims to be a Christ follower. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a, he's, he's one that is not just following false teaching, but propagating false teaching. He's unrepentant, but he's, but it's, but it's not that he's got, he's listening to a, a teaching that's bad. He is the teacher who's bad. You know what I mean? Like he is, recruiting, actively recruiting sons of hell, really. Um, and so with that guy, so, I mean, it, it's a case-by-case thing, but I think there's got to be, in a church setting, there, there must be a, a discipline of some form. Yeah. Yeah. First time they come, there's no standards. We're going to help 
Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Did you have something? Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Intolerant uh, to witness. Have you ever heard this? Um, so some argue that it's intolerant to witness. Some unbelievers think that it's wrong to witness to others or imply that others are lost. Well, isn't that condescending? You know what I mean? That's the argument that happens there. Uh, put yourself in the shoes of an unbeliever. Uh, would you think that Christians or any other religious uh, adherents were uh, were wrong to witness or uh, spread the, their message? What What do you think? Put yourself in the shoes of an unbeliever. Would you think that Christians? Or other religious people ought to not witness to others, ought to not share. Would you think it would be wrong of them to share what they believed? For the purpose of not just so you know where I am, but to recruit you. Well, I know a lot of unbelievers that think that. Oh, yeah. yeah, they think it's wrong? Oh, yeah. I mean, they resent the fact that you do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or anybody does. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't translate it into you're wrong and you're telling me. I mean, it comes off quite judgy, right? Because if we're doing it right, there is a little bit of judgy to it, right? Eternity's at stake. Can you went to the courthouse in Georgia. Hey, <laughs> did you see the guy? Yeah. Yeah. We were at the traffic light. Mm-hmm. D.H. Moody, D.L. Moody, Moody Bible College, D.L. Moody. Uh, I think it was D.L. Moody that said, um, I like the way I evangelize better than the way you don't. <laughs> I think it was D.L. Moody that said that. Does that do you know? I don't think so. No. This is a guy that started the Bible Institute or a Bible College uh, in Chicago land. Um, I think when people say that too, when they say, "Oh, see, that kind of stuff," you know, I object to. But I think in reality, if we're honest, 
they object to anybody mm -hmm. talking ill about Jesus, no matter how they do it. I think they use that to justify their failure. It's not my, you know, it's not my kind of thing, you know. Uh huh. It's one of those bullhorns. Uh huh. Bring in the priest. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think um, that I can at least respect the person. I mean, th he's probably not gaining many friends doing that. You know what I mean? I don't know the message that he's preaching, if it's positive. I've seen him. I've never heard him. Um, I, uh, but there's a, there's a stigma of sorts that goes with that. Um, but at least I can respect the fact that he believes what he says he believes enough to right. step into criticism, right? Um, I mean, if I were not a Christian, and, and think about the consequences here. If I'm not a Christian and you are a Christian, and you believe that Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead, there's going to be an eternity awaiting for those who are saved and an eternal internal uh, uh, damnation in hell for those who are not saved. And you have the key as a Christ follower. You have the pathway to salvation. And if I'm not a Christian and you are, and, and I know that about you, and yet you never shared your faith with me, I'm going to ask, do you really believe it? One. And two, if you believe it so much, then why don't why wouldn't you want me to have what you assume you will have? You know what I mean? It's kind of a challenging thing. Uh, but there's this idea that it's intolerant to, to witness. Um, uh, there is a, a fascinating video I want us to watch. Um, Penn Gillette. Are, are you familiar with Penn Gillette? He's a... Oh, what's, what's his name? Penn and Teller. That's right, Penn and Teller. Hey, have you all seen this video of him talking about? Okay, well, put your peepers here. Oh, sorry.
not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes, and he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me, and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever. And you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this, because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? Mm. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, or that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man and uh, that's really important and with that kind of goodness uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff but man that was a good man who gave me that book that's all I wanted to say now that's an interesting Snip, snippet. What stands out to you when you when you hear him talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
Mm-hmm. Are you saying Gillette's uh, or Penn or whoever, which one ever? Who is that, Penn or Gillette? Yeah, Penn Gillette. Oh, that's okay. Uh, are you saying his clarity or the the guy who shared the Bible with him? Who's clarity? Clarity. He's an atheist, uh-huh. and he he says, you know how how convicted are you if you're not sharing this? If you're not living, mm-hmm. if you're not doing this. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's neat. Yeah, so he, he he his claim is actually a little more bold than I don't believe there's God. Uh, his quote, if I'm not mistaken, was "I know there's no God," but but he, but he's borrowing. I, I mean, uh, he's borrowing morality from Christianity, right? He's seeing that moral from a Christian worldview and borrowing that to. Uh, applaud this guy, and clearly this guy made an impact. This is a, a guy that is wealthy and rich and tours the world. Like, he's got plenty to do to occupy himself. But the fact that he took five minutes and recorded this video says something to the impact this guy had on him. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to point out the things that 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 were appealing to Penn Gillette. He was kind. He was respectful. He was sane. I love how he kept mentioning he was sane. Apparently he's dealt with some crazies before. Um, he was sane. He looked him in the eye, right? The guy was humble in his approach. Uh, but, um, yeah, kind of put himself out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. During the course of a year, and so he's, he's remembered this in, in a way that he hasn't remembered encounters with other people. Yeah. 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 Well, this all truth is God's truth, right? That's why Christians need not be afraid of science and, you know, STEM, the STEM fields and stuff. Listen, all truth is God's truth. Um, yeah. 
And listen, if God can make a donkey talk, he can make a John talk, he can make a pendulette talk. You know what I mean? Okay, any other thoughts on that? Uh, responding to pluralist arguments. The claim it's arrogant and immoral to hold any kind of religious particularism because when you have to regard every because you then have to regard everyone who disagree with you as mistaken. Therefore, religious particularism is false. I've had a lot of fun this semester so far. Uh, Naya, our oldest, uh, we found a curriculum, uh, Introductory Logic. And we, I've had a lot of fun. She hates it. <laughs> but I've had fun doing this curriculum because uh, they talk about this type of stuff. Uh, here's the claim. The claim is it's arrogant and immoral to hold to any type of religious particularism. So let's refresh ourselves for a moment. What's an example of a religious particularist uh, uh, faith system? What would that be? Would Christianity be a, a religious particularism? What about Islam? Yeah, what about Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, okay. Uh, so anything that's not pluralistic is going to be particularistic. Um, it, it's immoral or uh, arrogant to hold to that because you then have to regard everyone who disagrees with you as mistaken or wrong. Is that true? Yeah, if, if, if you believe you are right, if Jesus is the only way, Jesus says it, the Bible says it, uh, you know, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe Jesus rose from the grave. Therefore, Jesus is worthy of following and listening to. And Jesus says, I am the only way to the Father. Well, then he's being quite uh, particular there. And therefore, to go another route would be wrong. Therefore, religious particularism is false. The problem with that, uh, as we've been learning in logic, is that that, is a, that argument is an ad hominem. Uh, is an ad hominem. Uh, that's the fallacy that's, that's being uh, taught there or held up there. Uh, it's trying to invalidate the position by attacking the character of the one who holds it. That's the definition of an ad hominem. It's, it's, it wants to, the, uh, that fallacy wants to attack the character of the person who holds that, uh, that, that way or, or that belief. Uh, an example I saw on this is, uh, uh, here, here's the line. Is rain not wet if Hitler says the, the rain is wet? Well, Hitler can be right about some things, right? The rain is wet. Um, to say, well, that's, that's wrong because it's Hitler. That would be an ad hominem argument. Does that make sense? I think this has been a lot of fun because we see these uh, um, we see these a lot today, these types of arguments or attacks. Um, where do you think, where, do, where would you all see these arguments being made? <laughs> In politics, that's right. Yeah, right? Um, yeah. And then in the coverage of politics, Right? Okay, uh, another one, another claim. 
another claim is not working. Christian particularism can't be correct because religious beliefs are culturally uh, relative. If you had been born in Pakistan, you'd likely be a Muslim, and therefore your belief in Christianity is false or unjustified. Now, there's a lot more to this argument, and we're going to tiptoe, we're going to tap our toe in the water and thinking about this type of, uh, of argument. Um, but the, the, the problem there, the, 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 the issue there is what's called uh, the genetic fallacy, and it's trying to invalidate a position by criticizing the, the way the per, a person comes to that understanding. So you came to that understanding because you grew up here. If you had grown up here, you would have come to a different understanding, therefore it must be wrong. The, the problem with that is um, it doesn't really matter, matter the metrics you use to come to a conclusion if the conclusion is right. If I learned that the world uh, was round from a fortune cookie, even though it's not a scholarly source or a correct source or a trusted source, I could learn something correct from a faulty situation. Um, the genetic fallacy, fallacy is trying to invalidate the position by, by criticizing the way the person comes to hold it. Thoughts on that? Does that make sense? Now, this is a, 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 kind of leads us into a much larger issue, which is the issue, what time is it? Anybody have a time? Uh, which, okay, um, which brings us to an, a larger issue, um, which is the problem of the unevangelized. Um, yeah, here we go. The problem with the unevangelized is, a, is part of the problem of, uh, well, we're, we're going to skip this because of time, because I really want to watch the next video. Um, he, here's a key aspect of the problem of the, uh, of the unevangelized. Um, do all people at least have the opportunity to be saved? That's going to be the question that's going to be asked that we have to wrestle with. Um, a perfectly loving God, it's argued, here's the problem, a perfectly, a perfectly loving and powerful God would not allow people to be lost who never heard the gospel. And of course, the example that's always, well, what about the guy in some country somewhere who's never heard the name Jesus? Um, surely some of these people uh, would have accepted Christ if they heard of Christ, uh, but, but now they're, lo they're lost due to their circumstances. That's the argument. Because of their circumstances, they're lost. You were brought up in this environment, you were born in this area, and because of those circumstances, you're going to be lost. That's the argument. Well, perfect, a loving, good God would not allow that to happen. Have you heard that before or thought through that before? Um, the, the, a key concern here is God should give the unevangelized a chance to be saved. That's what 
Um, they would argue a, a, a loving, moral God would not... I mean, how fair is it to condemn someone to hell for eternity who's never had the opportunity to, to, to hear of Jesus? Now, there are a couple uh, uh, solutions that are offered in the projects. Uh, one, William Craig Lane... Uh, William Lane Craig... Mm. All three of those sound like first names. I think it's William Lane Craig. Um, is uh, is a, a, a prominent apologist, and he holds to this uh, idea that's called inclusivism. Um, inclusivism says that all people are saved by the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, but conscious faith in Jesus is not necessary. Now, this teeters on the idea of 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 universalism, but the distinction is is this. Uh, he says one can be saved by general revelation in nature and and conscience. And he would look to places like Romans uh, 1, 2, and 3, where it talks about God's invisible uh, nature has been made known primarily through uh, his, his creation and through his power. Um, if that's true, then everyone would have the opportunity to be saved. Yeah. So here's another thing which used to puzzle me. Is it not frightfully unfair that this new life should be confined to people who have heard of Christ and been able to believe in him? But the truth is, God has not told us what arrangements, what his arrangements about the other people are. We do know that no man can be saved except through Christ. We do not know that only those who know him can be saved through him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, we don't know what provisions God has made for the people in the bush who have never heard the gospel. Right. But I've heard it, you've heard it, so we'll, now, now, now that's, that's up to us. Right, now we have a responsibility, right? Um, I mean, a good example would be, uh, let's say, a Native American before Christianity came to the continent. And they believed in, I don't know, I'm going to... I got to offend, if there were more people here, I would offend somebody, but they worship Mother Wind or whatever, right? The Great Spirit in the sky. And so we're going to worship Great Spirit in the sky because clearly, by looking at creation, there's something, there must be something more powerful than I. And so they lived and worshiped this great power in the sky um, and lived their morality as best they could as much as it was written on their hearts and so c.s lewis who probably takes a step beyond that to go to a universalist and maybe a nihilist uh in some of his writings but um he says look listen christianity is inclusive in that um all are saved by christ even if they don't know the name of christ does that make sense? That argument makes sense? Now, there are some issues with that that I think are worthy of noting. Um, although God might choose to save unevangelized people who respond appropriately to in, because of general revelation. That's what Paul talks about in Romans, or early Romans, about uh, uh, 
uh, his invisible attributes have been made known. We talked about that, if you, if you recall. You, you, don't, uh, you don't know the name of Jesus through general revelation. You don't know what Jesus accomplished on the cross through what Paul seems to allude to in Romans, um, Romans 3, maybe. Um, you don't have general revelation of Jesus in sacrifice. But he seems to indicate that God has made something enough to know. So God's going to be the ultimate judge of that. Um, but we can't claim that the Bible teaches that entirely or as a definite. And that's why, why it still is a pressing uh, importance on us. Because here, here's the scapegoat for us. If that's the case, and God's going to save based on limited understanding, then wouldn't it be incredibly hateful to share? Because with knowledge, as Peter Parker's uncle told him, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. When you're exposed to the gospel of Jesus, uh, now you have to choose. You know what I mean? And so we, we could escape, uh, escape responsibility um, by saying, well, wouldn't it be better for us not to share? Not to, not to share Jesus and allow God to save based on Jesus' general salvation. In fact, isn't it dangerous to sh share faith? Is the, the counterpoint there. And of course, that doesn't let us off the, off, off the hook either because we're still called in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, Jesus says. Um, so, I would argue that it's best to assume that inclusivism is false, and there's another answer. While I get it, you know, perhaps God's, God's in the business of saving. I think it's best for us, while we because it's not... Uh, clear. Um, our call and command is clear, however. So I think it's best to, to, to point out three signposts that all can access salvation. Number one, God wants all to be saved. <clears throat> uh, how could this be if God doesn't give some people a chance to be saved? God is allowing all people to be saved. He gives everybody the opportunity to be saved. That's the first signpost. Uh, number two, Jesus died for the sins of all. In what sense could this be true if some can't access salvation? I would argue that everyone has the ability for salvation, has a chance for salvation. Uh, number three, uh, there is a desire. Uh, there is a desired response to general revelation implied by the fact that general revelation leaves everybody without excuse. Romans 1, 18 and 20. Romans 2, 12, 16. Um, it condemns those who ignore general revelation. And surely God does not give us general revelation, which is, again, his invisible attributes, um, to ensure that all are condemned. Instead, he gives so, so we can see it and, and repent. Um. I want to uh, stop there, I believe. Well, so in some way, let me say this, in some way there must be universal access to salvation. Uh, now, it could be that God uh, 
who is outside of space, time, and matter. He, uh, in his providence, directs the gospel to those who will freely, without, uh, without coercion, uh, accept the gospel. Does God, being outside of time, space, and matter, knowing all things, does he know what you will do before you do it? Certainly. Uh, if that's the case, can God not direct the gospel to impact and be open to the hearts of those who will receive? Certainly. Um, we see that with biblical cases. We see that with Cornelius. Uh, he was unsaved in Acts chapter 11. Uh, but he was ready to accept the gospel. And, and, um, and so that's what happened. Uh, we see that with the Ethiopian eunuch. He was a God-fearing person and was, to, and was open to understanding the gospel, uh, God's truth, as revealed through the prophet Isaiah. And so God di uh, directed Philip there to share the gospel with this eunuch who was ready, who was primed. Uh, and there's something about that in sharing our faith. We need to trust, as the example we have with Cornelius and with the eunuch, uh, we need to trust that God is working on hearts long before we come into contact. So we need to be open to uh, being obedient to share when given that opportunity. Uh, I mean, I believe that God is sovereign. And so if Philip had said, no, God, I'm not going to deal with the eunuch today, um, someone else we would read about in Acts chapter 7, 8, whatever it is. No, 11, wherever it is. We'd read about somebody else because God's going to get his way. Uh, however, we need to be open to obedience when prompted because who knows what God is doing on the hearts of those we come into contact with. Does that make sense? Um, okay. Um, the problem of the unevangelized. Um, William Lane Craig says that... Um, all of the lost might be, the word he uses is trans-circumstantially lost. Uh, that is, they would, have, they would have been lost no matter what circumstances they were born into. Um, it's just the way it was going to be, God knowing the heart. And if that's true, that would mean nobody is lost because of historical or geographic uh, accidents. Um, this assumes middle knowledge. Uh, Middle knowledge is that God knows what creatures will do even if the individuals are never given the opportunity to do whatever that circumstance is, which I accept. God is above all things. But there's two problems that run in there, and that is the problem of apostasy. Uh, that's warned about in uh, Hebrews, uh, for example. Hebrews 3, uh, 6, and 10. Uh, these passages talk about apostasy, the apostate who, who knows and turns away while knowing. Um, it seems that some would have repented of, uh, uh, had they had been given other circumstances. Um, Jesus with the Sodomites, for example, he says in Matthew chapter 11 that the Sodomites, if they saw the examples that the current people were seeing, the Sodomites would have repented. Um, while these people who are seeing those miraculous deeds are, are not. Um, so it does leave us with some problems there. The big challenge for us is to share the faith when we have the opportunity because we don't know what God's doing on the back end of things. Does that make sense? 
it's, it is better to allow that God permit some people to be, uh, con- um, well, apostates. And, and, and then there are some who require um, excessive revelation. Um, those in Jesus' hearing, unless he's being hyperbolic, which he might be. Um, he, says, he says, no matter what, listen, the Sodomites would have repented, but you're not. Right? You need excessive pulling. Uh, at, that, at some point, there is a line between, that pulls you away from free will if it takes excessive pulling. Does that make sense? Uh, okay. I've lost, I've lost, I've lost, but let me, let me throw this out. Any thoughts, questions? How much time do we have? Ten minutes? Let me play this. If you need to leave, you can. Let me play this. This is a fantastic little TED Talk um, from uh, a lady from Westboro Baptist Church. And I think this is a fascinating little thing. If you need to leave, you can. Uh, Let's... Skip that and go to here.